Perhaps the greatest gift that anyone could ever receive. What is it? What could it be? I believe it's forgiveness. Forgiveness. When a person is ready and willing to see the problem in this world and the problem in their own life and realize that it is sin, you can characterize it as put it into a thousand categories and you can break it down and psychologize it in all kinds of ways. But at the end of the day, the problem in this world is none other than sin. Sin entered the world. Mankind, men and women, have sinned and fallen short of the glory. In that sense, we have committed crimes, really, against our Creator. He gave commands, and mankind has violated those commands. And I know that's kind of the kind of the the dark side of the gospel, really, right? That that you've sinned, I've sinned, we have sinned, mankind has sinned. And it's a pretty bleak picture, really, because death sin kills. Sin brings death. But God didn't leave man there, right? God wants to restore. The heart of God is he wants to restore. He wants to bring it back. He wants to put you back together. He wants to redeem. He wants to bring healing into your situation. In that sense, you could say it this way, he wants to forgive. He wants to forgive. But in order that his justice be fulfilled, and that grace be given, a sacrifice had to be made. And not just any sacrifice, it had to be a perfect sacrifice. It had to be absolutely perfect. And so what did God do? Well, we've been learning in these past few weeks, right? A lot of times Christians, we know about the sacrifice of God and we can hear the word of John the Baptist saying, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. But to really do a deep dive, into the perfection of what Jesus' sacrifice was, you have to literally go back to Leviticus. You have to go back where God established a sacrificial system. And we have been covering the five sacrifices in Leviticus, and we've already accomplished four of them, right? You've already been through four, and tonight is number five. So, yes, amen. And so this sacrifice that would, these sacrifices that all really point forward to the sacrifice of Christ. I've said it before and I'll say it again. There, there, it was, the sacrifice of Christ was so specific, so exhaustive, so powerful, so amazing in every single way that one sacrifice was not enough. God put five of them out there to fully tell the story of the picture of what the completed work of Christ would actually do in our lives. And so God, in the law of the Old Testament, created this sacrificial system where man could be forgiven. The sacrificial system, again, pointed forward to Jesus who would become the perfect sacrifice, the fulfillment, in that sense, of the sacrificial system. He was the ox, that beast of burden. He is the ox that bears the burden of our sin. Amen. He is, as John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And as we've learned in these sacrifices, sometimes the, the poor among Israel could bring a bird, a turtle dove, or even a pigeon. And he was that bird whose wings were spread open wide upon that cross for us so that he could save no matter who it is, no matter where you are, on the socioeconomic strata of society in any system across time and across this earth, God's sacrifice is for every single person. Amen? Yes. Why? Why? Because God is a giver and he is a forgiver. He's a giver and he's a forgiver. He wants to forgive. So God gave Israel the sacrificial system to deal with their sins. But this was also a type, again, of the perfect sacrifice that Jesus would be when he would present himself for the sins of the world. So tonight we're looking at number five in the sacrificial system, 
the Leviticus, the Levitical sacrificial system. Okay, so if anybody ever asks you, how many Levitical sacrifices were there? How many? Five. Five. Okay. So tonight is number five, and it's the trespass sacrifice. The trespass sacrifice. So if you're taking notes, we're going to read Leviticus 5, and the first point tonight is this, in, in this sac- trespass sacrifice. You have to, dealing with sin, you have to acknowledge your guilt. You have to acknowledge guilt before God. So let's pick it up. In Leviticus 5, it says this. If a person sins in hearing the utterance of an oath and is a witness, whether he is seen or known of the matter, if he does not tell it, he bears guilt. Or if he touches any unclean thing, whether it is the carcass of an unclean beast or the carcass of an unclean livestock or the carcass of unclean creeping things, and he is unaware of it, he also shall be unclean and guilty. Or if he touches human uncleanness, whatever uncleanness with which a man may be defiled, and he is unaware of it, when he realizes it, then he shall be guilty. Or if a person swears, speaking thoughtlessly with his lips to do evil or to do good, whatever it is that a man may pronounce by an oath, and he is unaware of it, when he realizes it, then he shall be guilty in any of these matters. And it shall be when he is guilty in any of these matters that he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing and that he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord for his sin which he has committed. A female from the flock, a lamb, or a kid of the goats as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin. If he is not able to bring a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord for his trespass, which he has committed, two turtle doves or two young pigeons, one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering. And he shall bring them to the priest who shall offer that which is for the sin offering first and wring off its head from its neck but shall not divide it completely. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering on the side of the altar, and the rest of the blood shall be drained out at the base of the altar. It is a sin offering. And he shall offer the second as a burnt offering according to the prescribed manner. So the priest shall make atonement on his behalf for his sin which he has committed, and it shall be forgiven him. But if he is not able to bring two two turtle doves or two young pigeons, then he who sins shall bring for his offering one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a sin offering. He shall put no oil on it, nor shall he put frankincense on it, for it is a sin offering. And then he shall bring it to the priest, and the priest shall take his handful of it as a memorial portion and burn it on the altar according to the offerings by fire to the Lord. It is a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin that he has committed in any of these matters. And it shall be forgiven him. And the rest shall be the priest as a grain offering. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, if a, if, if a person commits a trespass, and sins unintentionally in regard to the holy things of the Lord, then he shall bring to the Lord as his trespass offering a ram without blemish from the flocks with your valuation in shekels of silver to the shekel of the sanctuary as a trespass offering. And he shall make restitution for the harm that he has done in regard to the holy thing and shall add one-fifth to it and give it to the priest. So the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the trespass offering, and it shall be forgiven him. If a person sins and commits any of these things which are forbidden to be done by the commandments of the Lord, though he does not know it, yet he is guilty and shall bear his iniquity, and he shall bring it to the priest, a ram without blemish from the flock, with your valuation as a trespass offering, So the priest shall make atonement for him regarding his ignorance in which he erred and did not know it, and it shall be forgiven him. It is a trespass offering. He has certainly trespassed against 
the Lord. So in dealing with sin, you had to bring a sacrifice. And part of bringing the sacrifice, part of getting to the point of bringing the sacrifice was an acknowledgement of guilt, specifically with the trespass offering. Last week, we talked about the sin offering. The sin offering really dealt with just unintentional sins and just, just this idea of the sin nature, that we sin, just we've been born into sin. Remember, I brought up to you the, the, the example of David, you know, and of course, he sinned with Bathsheba and the whole situation there. And in Psalm 51, which was his response to um, Nathan, the prophet, confronting him with that particular sin. In Psalm 51, he responds. And in that passage, he says, I was born into sin. I was, from my mother's womb, I was born into sin. And so there's this idea of the sin nature. And even though we have the sin nature, we have also committed specific sins. So there's, there's no person that has not committed specific sin before the Lord. We, we are all guilty in that sense. And so when you would bring the trespass sacrifice, there would be the acknowledgement of the guilt. The trespass sacrifice is the last sacrifice that God instructed Moses to give to the Israelites. It, and again, it deals with unintentional or unknown sin, but then that sin becomes acknowledged. You may not know that you've sinned. You may not realize it. But when that is brought to your attention, when you may have kind of just kind of put it over here in your mind, you may have like David just said, I can do whatever I want to do. I'm king. I can put Uriah up on the front lines in battle. I can get him like killed off in the war. And I can take this woman that I want to have for my own. I'm the king but then you will be found out. The prophet came to him and brought that to his attention. So at that point, he has a fundamental choice, and every person has this choice, to acknowledge their guilt, come to the perfect trespass sacrifice, and be forgiven of your sin, amen? There's a way out. There's a way out. If whatever it is that anyone has done, there's only one sin that the Bible calls the, the unforgivable sin, the unpardonable sin. Are you aware of this, the, the unforgivable sin, right? What is it? There's only one sin that's unpardonable, and that is what's called the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has a specific role, a specific job description within the Godhead, Right? And part of that is explained in the Gospels. And the Holy Spirit was sent to come alongside mankind and to call them, well, first, well, to call them and to convince. If you don't like the word convict, but it's really to convict the world of sin, to convict, to convict each person, to bring the conviction. It's called the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. People say, oh, I don't want, I don't like conviction. No, 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 the conviction of the Holy Spirit's a good thing because it shows that the Spirit of God has come alongside you to call you out of sin, to call you out of darkness. He's come alongside. See, the, the Holy Spirit, the word, the Holy Spirit was called the paraclete, right? It's, it's a Greek word that means called alongside. Para meaning beside, cleat called. Paraclete, the one who's called along our side. And what he's going to do there when he's called along our side, he's going to bring conviction. He's going to bring the conviction of the Holy Spirit. How I like to say it too is it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He wants to convince you that you've sinned and you've fallen short of the glory of God. Now, why does the Spirit want to do this? Does he want to do this because, well, we just really want to make people feel bad? about stuff. We want to bring conviction, you know. We, no, it's not just to make someone feel bad. It's to bring you to a godly sorrow of your sin and acknowledgement of your guilt and bring you to the solution of your falling away and of your sin that you can be forgiven, that you can be redeemed, that you can be made whole, that that which has been 
uh, corrupted in your life, corrupted in your heart, can be brought back. Amen? So, wow, the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the Holy Spirit in our life. He's called alongside. And so hopefully, hopefully you can, when the Holy Spirit brings the conviction, when he brings that sin to, to your mind, to, he brings that sin to your attention, you can, you can acknowledge it. You can have that acknowledgement of your guilt. When he realizes it, he shall be guilty. Wow, you realize I'm a sin. I'm a sinner. I've sinned. Not only am I a sinner and I have a sin nature, but I have actually committed specific sins. There's specific things that I've done. It's not just this blanket like, oh, we're sinners. Woe is us. We're sinners. Just leave us alone. Let us be. No, you, we've actually done specific things in sin. And you find yourself in sin. And one of the things you realize with sin is that we learn this from the story of Samson. Remember, Samson was this judge of Israel, and he was called to, 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 bring, to be the voice of, of, uh, of God within the, in the community and bring, bring justice and all this in, in the community of Israel. And of course, he gets tempted by all kinds of stuff. And like the, the, the women that he shouldn't be involved with and all kinds of stuff. And he gives in uh, to this particular woman and he, he sins. And we see the consequences of that sin. First, he was bound. Remember, remember the soldiers came in and bound him and he didn't have his strength anymore. And so he was bound. And that's exactly what sin does. It binds us up. We're bound in sin. The Bible talks about how we've become slaves of sin. We're bound up. We're literally in kind of like a, a slavery. We're in like a jail of sin. And, and that's what, 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 you know, really when you understand the gospel, the Lord has come and, and, and literally taken you out of slavery to sin. He's taken the chains and, the, and that's the, those things that would bind a person and he's, and he's cut them off and he's brought you into the kingdom of heaven. He's brought you into freedom. And that's why when we sing a song about we're free in Jesus or we're, we've been set free, we need to understand what that is. It's not just some, you know, sometimes people that have been just born into freedom and thank God for the United States, right, where we've been born into just such an amazing place where you can wake up every day and say, what do you want to do today, right? And there's people that, that, that they don't have that type of freedom. And so we've got to be reminded sometimes of the freedom that we have, that we've been given in life. And sometimes we need to be reminded of the freedom that we have in Christ. But that's what sin will do. It will bind you. It binds you up. But then they put him to, uh, they, they gouged his eyes out, right? Remember Samson, they gouged his eyes out. And that's the second thing that sin does to you. It blinds you. It, at first it binds you, then it blinds you. And, and, and your eyes are gouged out and you can't see. And, and then of course, after, uh, after he was bound and blinded, then he was put to, to work on that, that mill where he had to just spin that, grind the, 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 the wheat on that stone mill. And, and that's the last thing that, that sin will do to you. It just literally grinds you. It binds you, it blinds you, and it grinds you. And we learn all this from the story of Samson. So hopefully the Holy Spirit, hopefully you respond to the Holy Spirit. Oh, well, I got to finish up, right? That was, all, that was all prelude to explain the unpardonable sin, right? You, that was like, that was so many conjunctive sentences to bring us to this point of explaining the unpardonable sin. The unpardonable sin is when you reject the work of the Holy Spirit. He's got a job to do in your life. And, and, Part of coming into um, uh, relationship with God is letting the Holy Spirit do his job. But when you don't let the Holy Spirit do his job, you've rejected the work of the Holy Spirit. You don't want to be convinced or convicted of sin. You don't want to be brought into a place of godly sorrow so that you can be brought to repentance and forgiveness and wholeness and all of it that God has to offer you. You, you're, you're, you are in a place of of just blaspheming the Holy Spirit. 
So you haven't allowed the gospel to be worked out in your life. You haven't allowed the salvation. You've kind of, in that sense, you've rejected the work of the Spirit and the offer of the gospel. And so that's the tragic place that, um, that we hope that we, 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 we hope no one en- ends up in, in that position. But you have, um, and I've said this before, you have an example of, of, both, of both decisions that people can make in their life by virtue of the, the two thieves that were with Jesus on the cross. There was two thieves and he was crucified in the middle. And really when you, have, when you look at the decisions and the things that were said by the two thieves on the cross, you have literally a snapshot picture of really the two fundamental decisions that every person makes. It, it's either acknowledging Jesus and his kingdom and that he's a king and that he's, that he's the savior or just basically rejecting and, 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 and just casting that off. And so hopefully we're not rejecting the work of the spirit um, and allowing the spirit to bring us to that place of conviction and being convinced of the, of the sin not only just that we are sinners, but even specific sin. And let me say this before we move on. It's one thing to realize you're a sinner, but part of what it, part of what it does, you, you have to realize you've committed a specific sin before you can really realize that you're a sinner. So there's an order to this. And we're going to go over that next week. <laughs> so don't miss, don't miss next week because it's an amazing study next week, okay? But I'll just give you a little hint. There's an order to the way this happens. You first have to realize you're guilty of a specific sin. You're like, wow, I've lied. I, I, I've broken this commandment. And, 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 and where I did this was, was here, in this instance, on this day. That's when I did it. Realizing that you've broken a specific commandment in a specific time and place, then God brings you to a place where you realize, well, wow, it's actually worse than that. It's worse. It's actually worse in that sense than I won't, I've committed a specific sin. I was literally born into sin with a sin nature. And so I'm just literally dead. I need to be brought. I know I not only need to be forgiven and made clean in that sense, but I need to literally be brought into life. I need to be brought, made alive by the Spirit of God. So, so that's, that's kind of the setup there. So, you, so this trespass sacrifice deals specifically with this idea of having committed specific acts of sin. So you look at this first couple of verses here in Leviticus 5, and you know you, you get a couple of examples here of the specific sins, right? So look, if you look at verse 1, if a person sins in hearing the utterance of an oath and is a witness and whatever is seen or known of the matter, if he does not tell it, he bears guilt. And so it's he's sinned. So what's this saying? So someone that basically bears false witness. This is like kind of commandment number nine. You've, you've borne a false witness. You've kind of, you've, you, you've lied about not knowing or you've lied about a, a, a situation uh, that, that you're involved in. You've, you've gone against a, specific, a particular oath. Now when, when, you know, in our culture, we are, are becoming a culture where we almost don't even understand this <laughs> because uh, you know, there was a sense of giving, of, of swearing to an oath, like swearing by something and saying, I will do it. Right. You know, we in this country have a, uh, we have a, a tradition of acknowledging the establishing of oaths and making that. And, and that's why we have our presidents and our Congress people and our judges and all this, where they're sworn in, right, mm-hmm. with their hand on the Bible. Now, what we actually see happening in our culture is people saying, well, no, I'm not going to actually swear an oath on the Bible. It's going to be some other thing, you know, some other book or some other situation. And so this is kind of where we're kind of getting away from, you know, where we actually have this tradition. 
But this is the idea of bearing a false witness. Then in verse 2, it goes through this whole thing about, you know, touching an unclean thing, you know, and, and this is where we, we read this today in this modern culture, and we're, we're touching a carcass, and what, you know, what are you talking about? And touching uncleanness of, of animals and carcasses and all kinds of stuff, we, we don't un- understand this. But there was, there was specific commands in the Bible that, that made things unclean, and it all points towards um, things that are profane to God. And it, it specifically, there are things that we look at that are profane to God, that God has said, this is something that's unclean. This is something that's an abomination. This is something that I don't want you to do. This is something that I said, I will say to you, thou shalt not do this. For my people, I, I'm calling you, I'm giving you command, you shall not do this, and such and such. And so then there's the idea of touching the unclean thing. There's that idea of, well, well I want to touch it. I want to touch it. I want to do it. And so this, this idea is touching the unclean thing. So if you look at this, you think, okay, if you were going to put together a list of things that were like, you know, man, we've we got this trespass offering, specific sins, and we're going to put a list together of the really bad things, and here they are, lying, bearing false witness, and touching unclean things. Wow. You say, well, isn't there, isn't there you know, some bigger fish to fry? You know, isn't there, there's some you know, more grievous sins? Well, number one, I think it leads with this idea of telling the truth. And then number two, I think those grievous sins are included in that idea of touching the unclean thing. Because if you read the Bible, you'll have these passages that'll say, that'll be this warning about touching the unclean thing. That don't touch it, don't touch it the unclean thing. And so you have to know your Old Testament so that you know what the unclean thing is. So you do have to read your Leviticus. You need to read your Leviticus. Now, some of those things God opened up in terms of the dietary laws, um, and we don't really have time to get into that. So I I, I shouldn't have said that. (laughs) It's true, but we don't have time to cover it tonight. Um, So, specifically, the bearing a false witness. Why would this be the first thing in verse one of this chapter? Because when a person cannot tell the truth, when there's something within us that says, okay, I am going to violate the truth. I'm going to lie. I'm going to bear false witness. I'm going to bring false witness. There's something very grievous about that. There's something very grievous about that to the heart of God. And it goes to the idea of truth. It goes to the idea of logos. It goes to the idea of violating the the integrity. There's a violation of your personal integrity. It's not only a sin against God, it's a crime against God, but it's a violation of your own personal integrity. So that's where everything breaks down. So a culture, if you want to look at a culture and say, where, it, where is it? Where are we in the timeline? Look at where we stand on truth. Where, look at where we stand on telling the truth. Look at where we stand on these types of things, and you can begin to take a, a temperature gauge, a barometer of, of where the culture is. And, and, and this is a big deal to the Lord. And so he says, if you become aware of this, if you do this, if you touch the unclean thing, if you bear false witness, you've got to acknowledge the guilt. You've got to acknowledge the guilt. And this is allowing the Spirit to do his work in our lives and bring us to that place. Whether he has seen or known of the matter, if he does not tell it, he bears the guilt. When you become aware of it, you need to acknowledge your guilt before God. This is something that you need to understand in your life and in your walk with God. When when we sin against God, when you sin against God, you need to acknowledge that. You need to acknowledge that. You, 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 can, you cannot think that you're going to pull the wool over 
God's eyes. You say, well, where, where does that idea of pulling the wool over God's eyes? Well, there's this picture in Revelation, right, of, of God, and, 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 and the description is his hair is like wool, right? But what you forget in that picture is that his eyes are like fire. So you're not going to pull the wool over God's eyes because his eyes are like fire. In other words, it's a vision. It's not specific. God doesn't have wool, white woolly hair. He's not the guy up like, you know, Gary Larson, the far side, you know, type of a thing, you know, man in a robe with a beard, you know, playing two saxophones at the same time. Because God can do anything, right? Gary Larson, you know, the far side. But you can't pull the wool over his eyes. His eyes are like fire he's going to see. He's going to see right through it. And the quicker that we come to realize, hey, you've got to acknowledge. You've got to acknowledge. And part of it, if we're being honest with ourselves, we struggle with sin to the degree that we don't want to acknowledge it, that we don't want to fully acknowledge, and we don't want to fully come to grips and say, and throw ourselves and, and, and have that penitence and have that, that where you're just pleading with the Lord. I've, I've sinned against you, God. I've sinned against you, Lord. And there's, there's a wonderful thing in that. In fact, I want to refer to a psalm, uh, Psalm 32.5. I'll have it up on the screen. This is a psalm of David. He said, I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So David is, wow, he's an example of, he's, a, he's just a wild example. <laughs> really, because he was a king, he was a leader, he was just brave, he followed the Lord, he trusted the Lord, he did the whole thing with Uriah and Bathsheba, but also he shows us how to have a, contrite heart. David shows us how to have a contrite heart to, to, to say to God, I, I acknowledged my sin to you. I acknowledged my sin. So we've got to acknowledge the sin. We've got to acknowledge the guilt of our sin. Secondly, confess your sin. Confess your sin. Let's look at verse 5 again. And it says this, and it shall be when he is guilty, and, and that's when he, when he understands that he's guilty. Okay? So this is the person is understanding that they're guilty. Not just that God knows, but they actually know too, right? When, he is, when it shall be that when he is guilty in any of these matters, that he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing. And so there's the first step is the acknowledgement of guilt. The second step is confession. Confessing the sin. Confessing the sin. Confess your sin. The idea of confession in the Bible is very specific, and we are taught to confess our sins to God, specifically. And the idea of confessing is, and, and depending upon what, you know, if, if you, there's, a cert, there's certain traditions that people grow up with, certain churches where you, you, know, you would actually go to confession, where you would actually confess, not to God, but like, you know, to, to someone else, right? And but here's the, here's the fundamental biblical principle of confession. It actually means to agree. It's actually agreeing with God. It's actually agreeing with God. And let me, let me illustrate it this way. You, you, you know this. If you've been a parent or you can remember when you were a kid and you were found out to have done a terrible thing, right? You were guilty but you were not ready to acknowledge your guilt. You know, it's like, you, you know, you have those videos on YouTube of the kids that like, you know, why did you get into the, you know, why, why did you get into my makeup? You know, and the kid's sitting there with makeup all over the walls. And all, I didn't get into the makeup. No, I didn't do it. You know, why did you paint the walls? Well, I didn't paint the walls. The, the walls are just covered with crayons. You know, sometimes we can be like that. Sometimes we can be like that. As sophisticated as we think we are sometimes, sometimes we can be like that kid that, you know, ate the cupcake and the <laughs> icing's on the side of the face. Did you eat the cupcake? No, I didn't eat the cupcake. Oh, yeah, well, what's this icing? 
right? And bringing that person, bringing that child along to a place of going, okay, I agree. I agree. I ate the cupcake. Now, I told you not to eat the cupcake. We were saving those for dessert for tonight for you and your, your brothers. But you ate the cupcake. I ate the cupcake. I ate the cupcake. This is confession. It's agreeing. It's agreeing that you have sinned. It's agreeing with God. So when you confess your sin to God, it's like, God, I've sinned against you. And I, and I sinned when I did this. You say, why in the world is God having us go through this? He wants us when this whole thing is done and you're standing there forgiven, you're, you're gonna, it's going to be fully acknowledged. It's going to be fully dealt with. It's not like things are skating. You're not skating by, getting things by the Lord. No, everything's fully dealt with. Mm-hmm. Everything's fully dealt with. And, 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 and this is the thing, that, 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 that the sin is going to be 100% dealt with. He doesn't leave things out here dangling. You know, oh, we just let a few sins over here. No, no, no. We're dealing with the whole thing because we want to bring you to a place of personal healing. We want to bring you to a place of restoration. We want to bring you to a place of forgiveness. We want to bring you to a place where you're picked up out of the pit of where you were and you're set on a rock and you're put on a path of righteousness and walking with God. And so that's the goal. That's the goal God wants to restore. God wants to set things right. And so God's a healer in that sense. And he's the great physician. He's the great physician. Now, yes, he does actual healings, right? Physical healings. Amen? But he does spiritual healings too. And that's dealing with the heart. That's dealing with the fractured lives and the fractured hearts of man. And so we've got to confess our sin. We've got to confess our sin, our trespasses. Jesus taught us to do this, right? When he taught us to pray, he said, forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So confessing sin is acknowledging guilt and the specific sin, agreeing with God on the thing. So we've got to acknowledge the sin. And you're all aware of the famous passage in 1 John, right? 1 John 1, 9, this is the, this is, should be every Christian's, one of their favorite verses, amen? 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we acknowledge the guilt, we confess the sin, and God says, you will be forgiven. You will be forgiven. But there's one more thing that's a part of this trespass uh, sacrifice. In verses 14 through 19, there's this kind of, it almost appears like an addendum. It's like almost he finishes the instructions specifically on the trespass, and it almost kind of comes off as an addendum, but it's not an addendum. It's this idea of making it right, making it right. So God wants us to acknowledge guilt. He wants us to confess sin, but he also wants things made right, especially when we've sinned in specific areas that things can be made right. Sometimes it can't be made right, and there's this idea that, like, you know, okay, you're never going to make that right, and God makes that right in just his forgiveness. But there's some things where things can be made right, And so this area is the area where God actually institutes the paying of a restitution, okay? So you would pay a restitution if you have broken your word in some type of a business dealing, if you said you were going to do this and it wasn't this, if you cheated somebody out of money or if you did something, you would not only acknowledge acknowledge your guilt, confess the sin, but you would make it right with the person, whereas you would return anything that you cheated them out of and adding 20%. 20%. So let's say you cheated somebody out of $100, 
You lied. You swindled somebody. You cheated. Corrupt. It was corruption. You'd make it right by giving the $100 back, but then another 20. Why? It's another 20%. Another 20%. So it'd be 120. So, and this is all in the, in the thing there. The, the, the ram for the trespass offering was to be of a certain value, generally at least to two shekels, and then to make restitution, an extra 20% was paid. So the price was paid for sin, and the offering made, the, the atonement, the forgiveness, 100% sure, 100% taken care of. But there was also a price to pay in the sense of restitution. So not only that, but you, this flows over into Leviticus 6, and we didn't go there and read that. And if you want to read the first seven verses of Leviticus 6, um, you know, tonight or tomorrow, whenever, you can do that. But it just continues on with this idea of the, of, of the restitution. So there would be this restitution. Now, what, what is really going on here? You might, someone might say, well, I thought Jesus paid the price for our sins. What, what is this idea of paying restitution? What is this all about, of making amends in this sense? The answer is this. Yes, Jesus paid the price for our sins. His sacrifice, the, tr the trespass sacrifice, covers your sin and covers the specific sins that you have committed, all of them, covers all of our sin. But those that the Father loves, he also chastens. He disciplines those he loves. And when we sin, if we confess our sin, he forgives us, but God also wants us to learn in this whole process. He, 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 he doesn't want us just to, oh, well, you got away with that one because you brought the trespass offering. Oh, everything's good. No, he wanted people to learn. And, and this is the idea, like when you, when you have a kid, we can learn a lot from, from how, you know, as parents, how, how we attempt to teach our children. We want them to do what's right. You know, go do this. Go say you're sorry. Go make it right. Go tell him that you're gonna, we're going to fix the thing. We're going to fix his bike. You know, whatever it is that happened. You know, and, and God wants us to learn this idea. He wants us to learn. And there's this correction. There's this love of, the, of, of a loving father. And there's the discipline of a loving father. And if you read Hebrews, Hebrews talks about people, if you've been disciplined, amen, mm -hmm. that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. That's a good thing. That means you had a father or a mother who loved you and loved you enough, loved you in the right way, loved you enough to discipline you. You see, there's some people today, this new parenting or whatever, I don't know what it is. I don't, I, 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 maybe it's, 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 it's a new category. It's, 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 not, it's not parenting, it's a new thing. Because parenting is loving your kids and disciplining them and bringing them up in discipline. And, and so that your kids can look back one day and say, thank you, mom, thank you, dad. I appreciate that. I, you know, here's what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, no correction see, is great when it's happening to you. Anybody like being disciplined? Anybody like detention? Anybody like getting paddled? Anybody get paddled? I did. Okay, back in the day, you know, got beat. My sister, she didn't get beat that much because she was good. She was good. And the, the, the idea in my family was this, because she was, you could break her down. Mom and dad could break, dad could break my sister down with just a, really fierce look, okay? Like, right? That didn't do anything for me. Fierce look didn't, did, just, just didn't do it. So he had to beat me. He had to beat me. He had to beat me. But you know what? And I'll tell this story. I... On my, on my wedding eve, we had a, the tradition of having the, uh, what do you call that? Rehearsal. rehearsal dinner. Thank you. Had the rehearsal dinner, and then you got to get up, and you got to say a few words, and everybody has to kind of say a few words. And I got up, and I thanked my mom and dad. And I thanked my dad in front of all those people, and I, and I thanked him for the discipline that he brought me up in. You know, because I, I can remember specifically 
specifically those times when it wasn't good. But on that night, I cried tears of thanks on the night before I was married. Cried tears of thanksgiving because of the discipline. No correction seems good at the time, but later on, it brings a harvest of righteousness to those who are trained by it. Amen? Amen. And so we've got to be trained by this process. And so this is what God wants to do. Now, specifically in Hebrews 12, I've got to read this for you. Hebrews 12, verse 5 and 6. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chases and scourges every son whom he receives. And you can just pick up and read the Proverbs. Just start reading the Proverbs and just have it speak to you about the the mindset and the person who can receive rebuke, who can receive discipline, who can receive challenge, who can receive that, you know? And knowing that I may need rebuke today, and if not today, probably tomorrow, (laughs) right? I need that discipline. I need that correction in my life. And so when, it, when God gives grace, when he gives grace, when he forgives our sins, it's not a cheap grace. Amen? It's not a cheap grace. There's no cheap grace in the real kingdom of God. The actual family of God, the real life, living, breathing kingdom of God, there's no cheap grace. There's grace, but it's not a cheap grace. It's not a throwaway grace. It's not a, we're getting away with everything. There's a grace that where God deals with everything and he deals with us as sons and he brings that discipline into our lives. He brings that rebuke and that chastening and we realize to understand that we are being treated as true sons. And that passage is exactly what it says. God is treating you as a true son. I'll say it like it is in the, in the, in the it says, you're, you're not a bastard child. You are a true, legitimate child of the Father. And you know what? That's what he was accused of being. You think, oh, well, how could, you, how could the Bible say that? How could Jesus say that? No, that's exactly what the Pharisees told Jesus that he was. And so when God's dealing with us, he is dealing with everything, and he is dealing with it perfectly, and he's dealing with it across the board. And why? Because he wants to bring absolute healing from sin, from the fracture and the, 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 the problem of sin in our lives. Amen. And so we finish up with this point. I went long, sorry. I was going to go short. I get up here and I say in my mind, I'm going to go short. It's going to be a quick one tonight. We're going to breeze right through this. We'll be in Java. We'll be having tortillas and salsa and all kinds of stuff, you know? There's no cheap grace because God's grace teaches God's grace teaches. Since we have been forgiven, we need to learn the lesson of restitution. Paul put it this way to Titus in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Throw it up on the screen. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, that teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. What's that? That there is a salvation, there is a grace that brings salvation, and it has come on the scene. It's risen like the sun over the beach over here tomorrow morning. The salvation grace came up like the sun came up this morning and is shining down on every single person and it's available to every single person to receive 100% forgiveness, cleansing, uh, healing spiritually in your life, being being brought back in restoration in in, in relationship with God. But then, then that grace teaches you how 
to then proceed. How to live. Look at that, verse 12. The grace of God that has appeared to all men teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So when the, when the, pre, the trespass sacrifice is applied to your life, to my life, you will be forgiven. You are 100% forgiven. Look at verse 18, back in Leviticus chapter five. So the priest shall make atonement for him regarding his ignorance in which he erred and did not know of it, and it shall be forgiven him. It shall be forgiven. God's grace freely given to you, freely applied to your life, and then coming into your life as discipline and challenge and chastening and teaching. Amen? Amen? And this is such an important lesson for our culture today. Because, you know, Jesus told the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8, right? You know, where are your accusers? They all left. He said, who's... Who's without sin here? Cast the first stone at this woman. They all left, and it says from the oldest to the youngest. It's like the old guys were like, oh, I'm out of here. (laughs) I know I'm done for. I can't. And then the young guy finally, okay. Right? Where are your accusers? They're not. They're gone. They're gone. Well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more, right? Go and sin no more. So the trespass sacrifice, the sacrifice of Christ, perfect for our lives, bringing us forgiveness, atonement, and teaching us how to live in this world.